Hi friends and neighbors, this is Nicola, and you are listening to Season 2 of It's All Good in the Hood, Episode 1, History Bite, Laying the Foundation. This podcast is produced on Treaty 6 territory, a traditional gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Diné, Ojibwe, Saltu, Anishinaabe, Inuit, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community. So what I want to do today is just talk about the history that leads us up to where we are now with our community. I'm going to gloss over a lot and give some general information, but I want people to have a general idea of what I'm talking about in my episodes. So in Canada, after European contact in the 1600s with the many different indigenous peoples that lived here, the area that we now call Edmonton was indeed a meeting point for diverse indigenous groups who lived on this land. And at the time of European contact, this area was primarily inhabited by woodland Cree peoples, but it has been inhabited by Blackfoot and other tribes at different times. Now, prior to 1795, so this is after moving or after Europeans made contact with North America, prior to 1795, this area was, well, it was air quotes, governed as Rupert's Land under charter to the Hudson's Bay Company. But it was relatively unaffected by European powers and control, except for a few fur traders or individual independent Europeans who might have adventured into the territory. So indigenous peoples continued to live off of the land the way that they traditionally had. Essentially, European traders claimed rights to trade in the territory under the authority of the British crown, but the indigenous peoples lived in the area without much contact with Europeans. However, The arrival and moving westward of Métis peoples allowed for new trade relationships to take place between the indigenous peoples of the area, which helped move products, primarily fur, eastward, and then manufactured products, as well as food and other goods, westward. In fact, without the ability of the Métis peoples to create strong relationships both with indigenous peoples and with Europeans, the prairies would have been particularly difficult to do any trade or settling in. In 1795, the first fur trading fort built close to Edmonton was Fort August, and it was built by Angus Shaw of the Northwest Company. It was built where the North Saskatchewan and Sturgeon Rivers meet, just northeast of where Fort Saskatchewan currently sits. William Thomason built a fort for Hudson's Bay Company right near the Northwest Company, and Thomason called this fort Fort Edmonton. It was named Fort Edmonton as an homage to the deputy governor of HBC, Sir James Winterlake, who grew up in a community near London, England called Edmonton. And at this time, the Hudson's Bay Company and the Northwest Company, they were locked in a bitter battle for dominance of the extremely profitable fur trade. And they were trying to outrun each other for territory. As previously mentioned, 
At this time, predominantly woodland Cree people lived quite bountifully in the large area that became Edmonton and its surrounding communities. And they lived off of game and fish and trading with plains people for buffalo hide and meat and trading with different woodland Cree groups to the north in the Beaver Hills area for the increasingly lucrative beaver pelts. So a new Northwest Company was formed. So there's a Northwest Company and the new Northwest Company, and they called the new Northwest Company the XY Company. Now the XY Company put a lot of pressure on the Northwest Company and the Hudson's Bay Company, and they, the XY Company was also known for using liquor as means to both entice, control, and take advantage of the various players in the fur trade. So as you can imagine, this changed the dynamic of the area that the woodland Cree peoples lived in. Now here we have forts with doors and fences to keep people out in an area where the woodland Cree groups previously moved freely and unencumbered. And now we have three different companies providing different price points, making different promises to the peoples of the area, playing them off of each other. And then the XY company comes in and purposely uses liquor to influence the trade. In 1804, the XY Company and the Northwest Company merged and became an even more powerful opposition to the Hudson Bay Company. So the Cree and other indigenous groups in the area grew tired of the trade games, the restricted access to areas they had accessed before. And in 1810, local indigenous groups became aggressive towards the original forts which, again, were predominantly in the Fort Saskatchewan area, except for the XY Company Fort in Edmonton. So the forts in the Fort Saskatchewan area were abandoned, and new forts were quickly built in the area that is now Edmonton. So, again, one for HBC, and presumably just one for, for the Northwest Company, although I don't have too much information on that. In 1890, or in 1812, sorry, David Thompson established an east-west route to the west coast that passed directly through Edmonton, which helped encourage the quick rebuild of the fur trading forts in the, in the new area along this east-west route. Fort August by the Northwest Company was rebuilt where the Victoria Golf Course is now, and Fort Edmonton by the HBC Company down the hill from where the current Alberta legislature resides. These forts were fairly profitable, and they operated very closely to each other. Each other. And around the fort, small Métis farm holdings began to develop. Um, and this provided for the growing number of residents in the forts. It provided food for the growing number of residents in the forts. In 1821, the Hudson's Bay Company and the Northwest Company finally merged, realizing that they could be far more profitable if they spent their energy working together rather than fighting each other. And Fort Edmonton became the major trading center on the North Saskatchewan River. In 1882, the Hudson's Bay Company began selling off some of its land holdings around the fort. However, they didn't sell off all of their land holdings and it really impacted any kind of growth or development of industry or commercial pro uh, projects in the area. And this kind of takes us to an ugly part of our city's history. Because in 1883, or basically in the 1880s, the publisher of the Edmonton Bulletin, Frank Oliver, petitioned Ottawa to move the Papa Chase Reserve off of the south banks of the river to allow for Edmonton to grow. 
The Papaches people were then forced uh, to take Métis scrip, entitling them to purchase land far outside of the city, and many of the Papaches began farming to the south of the city or joining with other tribes in the area, but again, off of their traditional land. Frank Oliver really pushed hard for private ownership of land, and he even encouraged the Michelle tribe to the northwest of the city to give up their status and sell their reserve land. But Frank Oliver was also a complex person in that he was also vehemently opposed to the Indian residential schools, as he believed it was wrong to separate children from their parents. So, back to Edmonton, 1883, separate land holdings became registered within the town. Macaulay area and all of what is now Boyle Street and Cromdale were settled by farmers David McDougall, S. Pritchard, W.S. Robertson, J. McGinn, Donald McLeod, James Rowland, William Rowland, Frederick Rowland, James McDonald, and Kenneth McDonald, very much Europeans. In 1891, the CPR created a branch line that came up to here to Edmonton, and it reached the town of Strathcona on the south side of the river. This allowed for the incorporation of the town of Edmonton uh, with the most western and southern settled parts of our area becoming officially part of the town. And then these farm lots in 1892 started to become subdivided into city lots in the areas that are now downtown, Macaulay, Boyle Street, Cromdale, and Parkdale. Between 1892 and 1904, dozens of lots were subdivided and purchased mostly by newcomers. As a side note though, in the 1910s, the area saw a major recession and most of these houses actually fell to insolvency. And this is actually a very common cycle in our area. Whenever there is a depression or a recession, the, a lot of homes fall to insolvency. So we have a cycle of home ownership, insolvency, property sitting, perhaps being uh, purchased by developers or even new families or landlords to use as rental facilities. And then the cycle happens again. Now in 1904, Edmonton reached a settled population of 5,000 and it was incorporated as a city, including the northern parts of Macaulay and Boyle Street, the southern part of what is now Alberta Avenue, Parkdale, Cromdale, and Spruce Ave. And let's keep in mind that the population of 5,000 was just the settled population. This was not the population of the Cree people who lived off of the land outside and around the growing settlement, the, or the independent Métis farmers outside and around the settlement, or the small farming communities outside and around the settlement. Now, also in 1905, the province of Alberta was created, and Edmonton was named the capital city. The telephone system was purchased from a private company, and in 1906, the University of Alberta was established in the town of Strathcona across the river and the coal mining area of Beverly to the northeast of the new city was incorporated as a hamlet. But an interesting side note, although Beverly was officially the coal mining area, coal mining also continued to happen all along the banks of the North Saskatchewan River where downtown is now. In 1907, the construction of the legislature was started and the Grand Trunk Railway was built to connect Prince Rupert, Rupert, so all the land to the north, through Edmonton, and the population boomed to 31,064 people. 
the city of Edmonton created the radial railway for public transit, which ran along the main streets. And in 1908, the areas that are now Eastwood, Westwood, Delton, and Elmwood Park were incorporated into the growing city. And between 1910 and the late 1930s, despite annexations and modernizations, the population of our city actually declined due to economic depression. In 1911, my home was built in the southern portion of what is now the Alberta Ave community. And the area to the east of our inner city community was purchased and renamed the Highlands and merged with the city as a new suburb. In 1912, Edmonton and Strathcona amalgamated with a combined population of 53,611. At this point, the village of North Edmonton was annexed, which, include, which included Westwood, Delton, the north of Eastwood, Elmwood Park, and the northern parts of Alberta Avenue. And I found this interesting quote from the Edmonton Bulletin on May 17, 1913. And it referred to a quote, or uh, referred to an interview that was done in, on March 27th in 1912. On March 27th, 1912, Gus Burling started working on his hoe out in the bush on Alberta Avenue, which is 118th Avenue now. In the face of ridicule of his friends, but today the tables have turned and he finds himself in a thickly settled community with good prospects of streetcar service to the city, already having three grocery stores and a barber shop, five miles of street graded and contracts let for two and a half miles more and a sidewalk from the card line. The car line would have been on 111th Ave to the most remote, remote parts of the subdivision. So between March 27, 1912, and May 17, 1913, the more northern parts of our inner city community really boomed. Well, folks, that sets the stage of the history of our little communities. I know there's a lot that I have left out and glossed over in favor of time and efficiency, but we will get to those things as we delve deeper into the stories and history that make up our community in later episodes. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, it's all good in the hood.